Business and Buckets. Oh boy, are we live. Episode 61. It's been a minute. It's been a while. I'm excited to be back. I'm recording episode today. It's Wednesday or Thursday. I don't even know what day it is. January 6th. I'm doing another one tomorrow. Back to back episodes. Making up for some lost time over the holidays. Your boy got sick a little bit. Dealing with some flight cancellation, some rescheduling. All that crazy airport drama that you've been hearing on the news. I had a little bit of issues going with that. I didn't want boogers coming out my face. You guys barely being able to hear me. So I figured I'll push it back. Cover the sports like I normally would. Do another week's action. And we got business episodes uh, 10 and 11 coming up here very shortly. I'm going to cut in some trailers for that next week. Post official live dates for that. But a lots, lots of fun stuff coming. It's 2022. Your boy's fired up. I hope you guys are fired up as well. But before I talk a little bit about what's happened over the holidays in my new year, uh, we're going to talk Fueled Supplements, the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets. You guys know, if it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Fueled Supplements' newest product, Creatine Monohydrate. So why take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. It creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle's tissue primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. There's 100 servings. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, safe, and effective. So you guys know the deal. Go to fueledsupplements.com. And use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products. Once again, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Episode 61, man. I can't believe it's been a year of business in buckets. I remember starting last year in January covering uh, NFL playoffs to start. And I was so excited. Had no idea you know, where this was going to go. Went through lots of ebbs and flows with camera equipment. Having to relearn how to edit and do everything as a one-man shop putting the time in, the dedication, the work ethic, you know, seeing this stuff on social media, seeing people's podcasts, it seems like, oh, that's got to be so so easy. They're just recording being themselves. But there's a lot of time that goes in behind the scenes. And, you know, I have utmost credit for all these guys that are doing podcasts, online blogging, vlogging, whatever you want to call it. Um, But I'm super excited for what 2022 has to offer. Uh, The last episode we had posted was the 23rd um, uh, of December before Christmas, I had gone to Montana. I was going to potentially do an episode there, but with my luggage, having a snowboard bag and everything for carry on, I didn't want to bring my camera equipment and hearing everything about the flights. I was worried about it getting lost in, in a check as a checked bag. So, you know, that's a lot of money with all my camera equipment. So I figured I'll, I'll, I'll do it when I come back. Well, was able to shred the slopes in Montana, see some good friends, get some high quality Montana snow, that fluffy snow and whitefish. You know, here in the Northwest, you get that really wet, heavy snow. It's just not the same. You're sweating inside your jacket. You're soaked on the outside. So it was nice to have some fun with my best friend and his family uh, up on the ski hill, seeing my grandma, my uncle, seeing my moms, uh, just getting some, some good quality family time as I hope everyone else was able to do for the holidays. And then... Um, after a couple chill days, get ready to come back. I'm in the airport, supposed to leave at 6.30. You know, it gets delayed 30 minutes, another 30 minutes, an hour, another 30 minutes. 
And all of us are in the airport buying rounds, drinking together, having a good time. And uh, before I know it, the, the, the flight's canceled. I'm pretty drunk and I have to go at it again the next day. The next day, there's more flight delays. Finally get in. I'm in the airport for two hours because the baggage claims are just so messy. Everyone who had canceled flights, rearranged flights with layovers. There's just luggage for days out there. So it took me a couple hours just to get my snowboard. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to give credit to, and I do this a lot on the business episodes, but you know, why not blend it a little bit? Business in buckets, it's a, it's a blended idea. And why not blend this? But on the way to Montana, I almost missed my flight. I had set my alarm for 3.50. I wanted to be there two hours before check-in just to be safe because it's the holidays. You never know how crazy the airport's going to be in. Well, I slept in, didn't wake up till 4.50. I'm like, oh, shoot, what do I do? Do I try to reschedule this flight, see what other options are available? I remember having an early flight because the only other direct flights were later, like in the evening. So I was like, man, I don't know. Like, can I make it? So I just said, you know what? Figure it out. And your boy hasn't even packed yet right? He still has stuff in the dryer. Oh man. So I'm stressed out the gate sweating like, oh shit, what am I going to do here? I ordered Uber XL because I need to carry all my snowboard and stuff. So it's just easier than having to deal with the Prius. It says 15 minutes. So I'm like, cool, 15 minutes to pack. I throw all my shit together. Somehow didn't forget anything meaningful. Um, got the Uber XL. I was like, hey man, pushing a tight timeline here. What's traffic looking like? You know, he got me there in a timely matter, gave him a nice tip. Go in the airport, and when you have oversized luggage, my big snowboard bag, you have to go, and you need to go check that in. I'm in line. Come to find out I'm in the wrong line. Some guy's like, hey, I don't see you have a tag on your bag yet. I was like, nope, I haven't done that. He's like, cool, well, let's go. And I see this long line. They open up a new line. Pulls the cord, gets me in, check my bag. I turn around, and the guy's like, hey, man, are you done? I'll bring this over. I was like, are you serious? He grabs my bag and brings it over. Bravo, bravo to the staff there with the holidays, all the chaos, everyone feeling, you know, anxious, having that like just cause of concern with everything you see in the news and the headlines. And then I go to security. I'm supposed to check, you know, our, our board checks or let's see. Boarding was, I think, about 30 minutes after I got through that part and I still needed to go through security. And the line's up the ass. Signed up for some clear just to skip through that, get through security quickly, still had time to spare. But that was the start of my holidays. You know, I've had some crazy stuff and, and I apologize for the delay. I'm going to be here every week talking about this update in sports every freaking week. I'm going to give you guys that business content every month. So a little bit of makeup here, but your boy's going to do that work. But props to the people in the SeaTac airport. I've never had great experience with customer service like that. And for me being in sales, that means so much you know, for them to pay it forward. They're working in this chaos all day long. They're probably dealing with all kinds of people's attitude and energy. And, you know, everyone thinks their situation's worse than the other people's. So all they care about is what's going on with them. So I thought that was such a cool experience. I was kind of moved and it gave me some positivity, positivity heading into the holidays. And I hope that we could just always pass that forward because in the today's like in the times that we're living in today, there is so much unknown. And we need to be there for each other. Just like you guys are here watching me, tuning in, subscribing, liking my shit, commenting, whatever it is. I really appreciate that. Um, we've only just begun. I may have one true fan, five fans, 500 true friends, whatever it is. I'm excited to continue to move forward, improve this production, improve in the new year. And I'm excited to see 
uh, you guys do it as well. Just wanted to talk a little bit about that. You know, I had that written down. I was, you know, feeling all kumbaya when I had this about a week ago. Then I got sick, just been dealing with that. Now I'm back, was able to do that. But before we talk sports, I wanted to share this post from a rapper that I enjoy. His name is Russ. Uh, this was on, where was it? This was on um, The Breakfast Club. They had him do a freestyle about a week ago. Then he comes on The Bre Bre Breakfast Club and shares some pretty real stuff. I had shared this on my Instagram story, but I'll play this for you guys real quick. Because this really uh, exemplifies really what I'm going for here with Business and Buckets. You know, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. This isn't, you know, trying to be popular, being a star. It's something that I feel I have a good skill set that I can apply or provide some value to the people that are viewing and tuning in. But really, at the end of the day, on the business side, I help another Shane-only child in the middle of nowhere with some guidance through life. They reach out to me. I'd love to help. That's really what it's all about. There's no secret sauce anymore. There's opportunity for everybody. Uh, but the, what Russ says right here, really hit home and really just was an aha moment for me. So I wanted to share it with y'all. Uh, Coca-Cola didn't change the formula just because people like Pepsi. And that shit just blew my mind. And it's like, it's the same thing. It's like, I'm going to just do me, you know? Because if I go chasing, yo, let me get the Metro Boomin' B and put Future on it. Maybe then they'll fuck with me. No, we, you know what? Maybe they will. But your niche won't. Super serve your niche. Another mm -hmm. Tyler Perry quote. Super serve your niche. Mm -hmm. Y'all don't have to get what's going on. We get what's, go what's, what's going on. This ecosystem is thriving. And as soon as I start dismissing the relevance, the impact, and the gravity of this ecosystem to chase that one that I don't have access to yet, that's when my greed and ambition starts fucking up my gratitude. Mm. Uh, how do you honor these guys? You know what I mean? Like, if... if if a lot of these artists, if they were to die, not if, when they die, how do you honor them? What what do you do to honor them? That's their legacy. With me, I know I've left something behind. Like, I know when I die, pfft, man, people will really understand the impact. Because I change people's lives mentally. You feel me? Like, how people think about themselves, the self-belief, is confidence. It's, you know what? If they close the door on you, go in through the window. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I impacted how people think. Mm hmm you can't fuck with that. Like, you know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. I can't be constantly looking at what I don't have. Yeah, but I, want, I know I got these fans. Cool. Anyway, I want those fans. I want the... All right, cool. You go chase those fans. By the time you turn around and look back at your niche... They're gone. They're gone. As they said, if you don't appreciate what you got, God will take it away. We'll take it. So right. that's why it's like, you know what, bro? I'm doing me. Whoever wants to fucking come and tune in, cool. But at the end of the day, I know I've impacted people's mindset. And I always say the realest shit you can do in life, if you have a platform, is change the way people think. That's right. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Now, that's some real shit right there. Change the way people think. I think we see all these things that's glorified on social media, in our surroundings. We look at ourselves. We forget to practice gratitude. We forget to be excited about what we have in front of us, what's attainable. And, I mean, that's just some powerful shit. And that's what I'm all about right here. Again, you guys have feedback, push it my way. I'm just, I'm doing me. I'm doing me. I felt like this was me, business and buckets. This is all me. This is nobody else. And I'm excited to pursue that moving forward. 
And I know that this is the sports episode, but you know, it's a new year. You're feeling a certain way. I got my Big Ben jersey on. I'm going to wear it tomorrow's episode too because he's about to be done as a Steeler. Some sad days ahead. But uh, Business and Buckets was meant to be unison. Maybe I can start tying in some more life lessons, some some words of advice, some things that I'm seeing. Um, I'd love to have more sports guests and we could talk some real shit as well. Um, but let's focus sports. I, I, I really hope you guys enjoyed that. That was some powerful words for me right before the new year and got me fired up. So we're going to jump right into the NFL. You guys know I love me some NFL. Um, you know, my Steelers most likely aren't making the playoffs. That's fine. Uh, but I still love me some NFL. I mean, this is one of the most powerful sports in America. And there's just a lot of different things that have happened recently. So let's dive in. So Tom fucking Brady, this guy, his 15th Pro Bowl, which sets an NFL record for that standard and that award. Are you surprised? Absolutely not. I'm not. We shouldn't be. But, uh, you know, a lot of people forget, including myself, to enjoy greatness while it's here. You know, Peyton Manning coming left. Drew Brees is coming left. Tom Brady's coming left. I'm 29 years old. If you guys are any, you know, in the you know, three to four year difference of my age, we grew up with these guys. These were the only guys that you had. And it's this new wave. We have the Joe Burrows, the Justin Herberts, and all these different dudes. And it's just such a weird thing to grow older, watch the things change, and your generation kind of float float away. But I'm kind of holding on to these guys. You know, obviously, I would not like Tom Brady to win another Super Bowl, mostly because of the bias of me getting the Steelers' ass whooped every year in the playoffs with Tom Brady. But you kind of you, you need to hold on to these guys while you have them a little bit. I'll never forget when Dwayne Wade retired. I was like, oh, man, am I going to like basketball anymore? Is there someone that I could really root for? You know, the Jazz were the Jazz. It was great. But uh, there was never a singular player from the Jazz that just pulled me in. It was just me having that fandom as a small kid, rooting against Michael Jordan with my uncle, and just kind of living through that. Uh, then, you know, Spider Mitchell came along and, and saved the day. But, hey, 15th Pro Bowl, Tom Brady, the joke is, you know, how many more years? Three, four, five more years. You know, we'll talk about LeBron James later. You know, him playing with his son, these dudes, and LeBron's putting up stupid numbers right now. These guys will be gone, and you'll forget about them. You'll miss them. You know, some days when I want to think of the Steelers' glories days or other you know, teams that I enjoy glory days, I'll Google highlights of, like, really good players that had really good seasons with us. It's like, oh, man, that's so cool. And you, you kind of forget to live in the moment and enjoy them while they're there. But, hey, enjoy Tom Brady while he's here. You'll say, hey, I lived through that as a kid, grew up, became an adult with that guy. And uh, what an amazing sight. He already has the Man in the Arena documentaries that I haven't seen yet. There will probably be a bunch more done on him, about him, for him. So uh, I just think that it's important to remind you guys of that. If you don't already know, now you know. Uh, James Robinson tears his Achilles. This is a guy that I drafted in fantasy. Um, Urban Meyer and the terrible play calling kind of ruined that for me. But a very talented kid tears his Achilles. Obviously, the Jaguars aren't playing for uh, for much at this point in the season. Tough loss for them. You know, never like to see a young player get hurt. He'll have plenty of time to recover for next year. Uh, but this is a guy that I really like. I think he is a star player. So wish him the best in recovery. I'd love to see him continue to do well. And hopefully the Jaguars can start figuring some shit out. Speaking of running back injuries, Darrell Henderson out four to six weeks for the Rams. Obviously, they have Cam Akers coming back. 
Um, they, they've also added Sonny Michelle, which in their words is probably like, thank goodness, that's a sigh of relief. But Darrell is a playmaker. This was the RB1 that they envisioned coming. Well, I guess it wasn't. They were envisioning Cam Akers coming in. He got hurt right away. But this is a guy that was a pivotal piece, right? He's a good pass back. He's athletic. He's quick. Uh, so it's just another tough loss for them as they're really in a win-now situation. And they also have put linebacker Ernest Jones on the IR, which, um, let's see. We just broke down the Rams not that long ago. I believe the week, the episode before this episode 60 and talked about the importance of him in the middle. Their linebacking core being one of their weaker links. So now he's on the IR. You know, can he play later in the playoffs? Potentially, but brutal loss for them. You, you know, you hate seeing contending type teams losing key pieces. Um, and I've been a fan of a team that's been through that. It's always the what if, right? You always have that. What if we had Ernest Jones, Darrell Henderson, those types of things. I just love seeing teams at full strength. There's no who, you know, what ifs or buts. Uh, Jimmy G has torn UCLA and fractured bone. Uh, I think I just said UCLA, UCL and fractured bone. Um, so Trey Lance going to be inserted. Um, there's potential rumor that he can come back. You know, they're fighting for playoffs. They may or may not make it. Um, but this is a guy that they probably feel more comfortable with at this point in time with the team that they have to compete. They're trying to move forward for a championship. So it's still a big news. Everyone likes to hate on the guy. I don't know what it is. You know, he plays consistent football. I'd take him in the Steelers next year in a heartbeat over Mason Rudolph. Um, if we didn't have to give up a ton, but, uh, it is what it is. Another couple injuries here, Adam Thielen undergoing season ending ankle surgery. You know, this guy's a stud. He's been a stud instead of being the long threat. He became a red zone threat with Justin Jefferson inserted. Uh, but the Vikings have been, you know, in and out of the playoff picture, tough loss for them. Hopefully he's going to be able to recover because he is getting older now and continue to play pro bowl like football. Thielen. He's 31 years old, so, you know, not always easy in your 30s to come back from surgeries like that, especially a guy that, you know, is cutting on this, breaking on that. But the physical therapy in today's world is amazing, so I wouldn't doubt him. He's been doubted his whole life, right? Uh, Miles Sanders has a broken hand, another key piece to an organization that lives through the run game. As long as Jalen Hurts is there, I don't envision that changing. Um, and he had a couple of big big breakthroughs once he finally got healthy and returned from the IR. So another tough, tough loss for a team that sees this, uh, a main player like Miles Sanders as a pivotal point of their offense. Shaq Barrett has an ACL and MCL injury. They're hopeful that he'll return for a playoff return. Uh, but just like the Rams, I mean, this is a guy the the team's not the same without a Shaq Barrett, right? This is the guy that kind of put their defense on that upper tier level last year when they made that championship run. And they have so many pieces in and out now. That's why it's so hard to, to repeat in the NFL. You know, injuries is just one side of things. Uh, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers definitely been feeling that it'll be interesting to see how Arians, how Tom Brady can regroup, figure things out to move forward. But it's still hard to doubt the, the Buccaneers and Tom Brady in the playoffs. So I'm interested to see, how that happens, whether Shaq is involved or not. But for the sake of Bucks fans and the organization, fingers crossed they're praying that Shaq Barrett makes a return. Clyde's Edwards Hilaire dealing with shoulder injury. They're not expecting him to be out long. I'm sure he'll be back for playoffs, but I wouldn't foresee him playing in the regular season. This is another guy. They have decent running backs on the, on the depth chart that have performed well. 
but he's really the difference maker. They drafted him with high capital. They still believe in him, still give him the RB1 role because he does make a difference in the pass game and the run game. He's a small guy, hides behind linemen, has that burst of speed. He has that quickness. So um, another championship team just missing another pivotal piece. Hopefully he'll be healthy enough to return to play at a high level come playoff time because the Chiefs are going to need him. And then Mr. John Madden passing away at 85, one of the biggest faces of football in my lifetime, whether it was a kid wanting to be a sportscaster, right? I majored in broadcast journalism. I wanted to be a John Madden. That was a guy that I looked up to. His energy, just the way he he enacted with, with the people at home, with, with the professionals, the way he acted off the field, in the booth, uh, as a coach, everything that he did, even the video game and the opportunities that that had you know, provided for players, for people, for fans. So here's some of the awards that John Madden has accomplished. In 1970, he was named the uh, American Football League Coach of the Year. In 1976, he was named Coach of the Year by, um, by the Touchdown Club of America. In 77, he led the Raiders to Super Bowl victory in Super Bowl Nine. He won an Emmy Award for Outstanding um, Sports Personality. He won the Golden Mike Award for Touchdown Club. He was named Sports Personality of the Year by American Sportscasters Association. He won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Sports Personality. He won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Technical Team Remote. He was a coach. He was part of the video game. I mean, this guy, there's only one version of John Madden. There's not a guy, another John Madden a few years later. And I think that all the things that you've seen in the media, everyone can attest the same thing. It's only kind words that have been said about John Madden. So a dark day for football for sure. Big Ben, I'm wearing the seven, right? Um, the football game this coming week against the Browns, most likely in Pittsburgh is last and final game. The tie with the Lions is definitely cost dividends. Right, some of the other close losses that they've had. Um, for me as a Steelers fan, the, you know, when I was a young kid, the Steelers weren't a powerhouse team. They were going through the Cordell Stewart phases. They were going through the Tommy Maddox, Tommy turnover days. And, uh, you know, you kind of hear the adults talk about what the Steelers were, how awesome that was, how amazing things were. And it kind of made me a little jealous. You know, I was like, dang, I wish the Steelers could get, get put through that. Ben's rookie year replaces Tommy Maddox. They go 15 and one. He convinces Jerome Bettis to stay another year, brings the Steelers to the Super Bowl as an eight and eight team, right? They were never thought of quite being that high level. The defense was legit. The offense was still a work in progress. And my whole life he's been, you know, uh, the, the franchise quarterback of the Steelers. And uh, it's just kind of a, a crazy thing to think that it happened. There was potential of last year. You know, there's rumors that he, you know, who knows if he's fully done. But at the end of the day, as Steelers fan, as the Yinzers, everybody else have to be able to give this man full effort in his last home game in Pittsburgh. Give him all d- just due respect. And let's talk a little bit about some of the accolades Ben has. We'll pull these up. So funny thing, everyone wants to blame Big Ben too, especially in the media, on the Steelers' performance this year. Well, in 2005, he threw for 2,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, and nine picks. So this was the year going into the Super Bowl. Three years later, 
3,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, 15 picks. So he threw for 1,000 more yards, same amount of touchdowns, uh, six more picks. And then this year, 3,300 yards, 20 touchdowns, eight picks, three more touchdowns, less interceptions in those Super Bowl years. And uh, everyone wants to put the blame on Big Ben. Well, he's a two-time Super Bowl champion, and a three-time AFC champion, an eight-time AFC North Divisional champion. He's the fifth all-time in total career wins, sixth all-time in career postseason wins, ninth all-time in career win percentage, 100-plus starts, six-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL passing leader, fifth all-time in passing yards, eighth all-time in passing touchdowns, fifth all-time in completions, 14th all-time in passer rating, 17th all-time in completion percentage, third all-time in fourth quarter comebacks, sixth all-time in game-winning drives, most 500-yard games in NFL history with three. He's tied most for perfect passing games, most touchdown passes in consecutive games, one of six QBs to beat all 31 other teams. He's the youngest quarterback to win a Super Bowl, and he was the NFL Rookie of the Year. I mean, he's done anything and everything you could and want for a franchise. I saw Colin Cowherd talk about, you know, he was bigger. He had the better body, the better arm than guys like Brady, like Breeze, like Manning. And he hasn't, you know, done enough. He put his effort out there. He always extended plays. He took so much damage on effort and determination and will early in his career. Obviously, he's not having the longevity of a Tom Brady. But as a Steelers fan... You're not mad about any of it. Um, would I have liked to seen another Super Bowl victory in his day? Absolutely. But goddamn, there were some good years. And uh, even as a, a, a big, big Steelers fan, I've had my ups and downs with Ben with the motorcycle crashes, you know, the off-the-field issues as a young player. But watching him mature through Pittsburgh with him and his family, leaving, being a part of Pittsburgh, I mean, it's just awesome, you know, Tip of the cap to Mr. Big Ben Roethlisberger. And uh, there's still some football to be played, so let's have some fun. Besides Big Ben, I did want to talk a little bit about this insert from Monday Morning uh, Quarterback with Peter King about Cooper Cup. He says, um, Cooper Cup, who leads the NFL pass catchers in football in receptions, 138. Receiving yards, 18-29, and touchdowns continues to be one of the uh, bigger stories of the year. He's trying to become the first receiver since Steve Smith in 2005 to lead the league in all three categories in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. It's so crazy watching him in Eastern Washington slice the Montana Grizz up year in and year out. I saw some Grizz players on, on Twitter saying, you know, every Sunday or every day that Cooper plays, it makes me not feel so bad about him slicing up the Grizz defense. Um, who would have thought the, you know, Cooper cup from Eastern Washington was it the second or uh, third round pick, I believe of the Rams is to where he is today and has an opportunity at 2000 yards NFL record and Matt Stafford. He's already got Calvin Johnson up there. He could have the top two receivers in NFL history. So bravo to you. But before we talk about the, the, the weekends and, and football, which is week 16, It'll be the last week that I break down an AFC and NFC team. I broke down the Rams, the Chiefs, the Pats, the Packers, Bengals, Cowboys, Colts, Cardinals, 
Now we got the Bucks, and now we got the Bills. This was perceived to a lot of fans to be the the favorite for the Super Bowl this year. The Bucks, as 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 it is before Week 16, they're nine and four. I had the Bucks at 12 and five coming into the season, so it's pretty close with them. But I think they will win their next two games to get to 13 wins. The injuries that they've been dealt with, though, really impacts how I'm going to think of this team come playoff time once I start doing my playoff deep dives and predictions. They have playoff Lenny, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Shaq Barrett, all battling injuries, some guys out for the year. They do have Evans nursing a hamstring injury. He's on the COVID list. I'd expect him to come back and play through the playoffs. Shaq Barrett has that ACL and MCL, but expected to return for the playoffs, so we'll count them in as of now. Uh, but they've also lost Levante David to the IR. Leonard Fournette has a hamstring issue, which is a running back. You never know how much that lingers or, or is going to stick around. And um, they also have defensive end Patrick O'Connor and Chris Godwin IR, and we don't expect them to play at all. So when we look at their running back depth, uh, Giovanni Bernard has a chance to return for playoffs. Um, but they have some line depth as well. But if any issues happen on the offensive line, they don't have a ton of depth for the rest of the year. You know, wide receiver-wise, with all these banged-up injuries, AB is coming back. But with two games left, they need to pray. They need to pray, cross their fingers, that they can stay healthy for the rest of the year. This is the first team in NFL history, we've talked about this many times, to bring back their entire roster from the Super Bowl season last year. So they're obviously a contender. They have the GOAT and Brady. But I believe the injuries and the rise of some other NFC teams, some powerhouse teams, will limit them from a repeat. But we'll see when it comes playoff time. Defensively, this team ranks number nine overall. And they're stronger against the run. But they have a solid pass rush that helps their overall defense. Their defense is really going to be dependent on a player players returning to health. Players like Jamel Dean, who's had a pretty solid year. Shaq Barrett, Levante David. But in my opinion, they're not going to be a game-changing unit without these dudes. They'll be a solid defense, but not the defense that won, you know, defense wins championships and it's not a championship defense unless they're 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 fully full full health. When it comes to the front of the of their defense, they have Shaq Barrett according to PFF ranked at number 11. He has 10 sacks, 3 forced fumbles, a pick and 37 tackles. Levante David, before he was hurt, was having a great season. PFF has him at number five. And they have Ndamukong Sue, Vita Vea, who had been hurt for a lot of the early season, JPP, Devin White, who's a stud linebacker in their front seven. But they've a lot of those guys have dealt with injuries. The cornerback position has been a revolving door since, I don't know, it seems like week two or three. They have Jamal Dean on PFF ranked as the number five corner. They have Pierre Desir ranked at number twenty-three. Carlton Davison is ranked. Uh, Carlton Davis is ranked twenty-eight. And an ex-Steelers cornerback, Buffalo uh, cornerback Ross Cockrell is at forty. So they've had a lot of those guys that weren't everyday players act as great depth and get them through to where they need to be. I mean, their record's been solid for a defending champion. Everyone's trying to beat the Bucks each week. Best game. And then they added in Richard Sherman late. Um, plus, they have Sean Murphy Bunting, who's played solid football. 
In the back end, Antoine Winfield Jr. has been spectacular. He's ranked number two. And Jordan Whitehead, number 12 for safeties. You know, this unit, if healthy, doesn't have a lot of weak spots. But um, their unit, in my opinion, is taking a step forward from last year, if healthy. Due to the more reps and experience that rotational players are getting, some of the young players adding some vets, some leadership in the locker room like Sherman. Offensively, their line ranks number two as a unit, only behind the Cowboys. And this is a dream for Tom Brady. Tristan Wirfs is number number nine as the lowest pressure rate allowed by any lineman at the position. This unit makes the rest of the offense be able to do what they can at a peak level. And much like the defense, they have their fingers crossed for the healthy return of Fournette, Evans, healthy AB, Gronkowski. When it comes to quarterback, Tom Brady is ranked number two according to PFF. On the season, he has 44,580 yards, 37 touchdowns, 11 picks, and a QBR of 65.7. The only quarterback ahead of him in PFF is Joe fucking Burrow. Playoff Lenny, before he was hurt, was ranked number 19. He put up a really solid season, 812 yards on pace for 1,000. Um, eight touchdowns and 4.5 yards per carry. And then we have Brady's favorite bromance in Mr. Gronkowski, who's ranked number 13 overall for tight ends. He's got 550 yards and six touchdowns. AB is actually ranked in PFF number four as receiver. Mike Evans, number 50. He has 899 yards and 11 tutties. And they're obviously hoping Ronald Jones can have some late season magic like Fournette did last year. Uh, But uh, Keyshawn Vaughn led the team in rushing this past week, even though they had fewer carries. And they've signed Le'Veon Bell as well. If my predictions are right, I have them at the fourth seed hosting the Cardinals. And I have them winning that and moving on. It's going to get interesting from there. But even if they did play the Cardinals initially, that'd be a hell of a matchup and must-see TV. Moving to the AFC, we got the Bills, 10-4. and four. I predicted the Bills to be 13-4, and four, and I believe they will win out and take the division. But that would give them 11 wins, and they've had more of an up-and-down season than I think pretty much everyone expected. It was crazy how bulletproof people were thinking the Bills were coming into the season. When we look at their injuries, Ike Bodinger suffered an Achilles injury. He's on the IR. They obviously had the heartbreaking news about Tredavious White, the shutdown, lockdown corner, being out for the year with the knee injury. And much like, you know, pretty much everyone in the league, COVID's been a fucking battle. Um, They've had a ton on the list, but coming into week 16, they had expected a bunch of players to be activated. They've also lost Justin Zimmer, a D-tackle with knee injury for the year. Injuries have been part of the team. Um, but they actually are relatively healthy heading into the playoffs, but they're missing one of their biggest, most baddest players in Tredavious White. When we look at the defense, and they're, uh, they're, really the, the focus has been the pass rush, right, with both Buffalo. It's been a hot topic. They're the third-ranked defense this far in the season. I believe their division does boost their numbers, though. You know, you get the Dolphins twice, you get the Jets twice, the Patriots aren't the same Patriots. Um... But I think also losing Tredavious White, that defense isn't as strong as that ranking. They have Ed Oliver, who they've inserted. He's number 29th overall as an interior defender. They have Jerry Hughes, who's having a solid season. He's ranked number 25 to PFF. And then Matt Milano, you know, I love talking about this guy. He continues to have his consistent play at linebacker. He's ranked 15th. 
And they have a young high draft pick in Greg Rousseau, who is learning the pace of the league and who they need to step up and, and have the best pass rush he's had all, all year in the playoffs. Tremaine Edmonds is on the squad. He's been on the team for a few years, solid linebacker. In the back, out, in the back end, obviously things aren't the same without Trey White. But they have Teron Johnson, who's had a solid season at number 36. And their safety play is fucking lights out. One of the best duos in the league. You have Micah Hyde, who's ranked number fifth. He's got five picks, a forced fumble, 10 passes defended, and 49 tackles thus far. And then they got Jordan Poyer. He's number 10 with five picks as well. 61 tackles and nine, nine passes defended. Now their offense. It's all down to Wyoming's best, Josh Allen. This guy's a game changer, right? He's a big mobile quarterback, which is good because their offensive line ranks number 18. And they've had solid play from guys like Mitch Morse, Daryl Williams, and Spencer Brown that are stable parts of that unit. Now, Josh Allen, according to PFF, ranks number six as quarterback. His number one weapon, Stephon Diggs, is number 13. He's over 1,000 yards on the season with nine touchdowns. And Gabriel Davis is ranked number 19. He's had a, a, a big season for them with Beasley in and out of the lineup, 470 yards and six touchdowns. But another hot topic for the Bills has been the running game. This continues to be a weak point. They've had Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, who's you know the lead back at this point. He's got 672 yards, four touchdowns, and a 4.6 per carry, which isn't terrible. You know, anything over four, you can't complain. And then they also have Matt Breida. I think Emmanuel Sanders has been an amazing addition to the wide receiver unit. He's got 626 yards and four touchdowns. I love me some Dawson Knox, who is continually improving. 538 yards and nine touchdowns. And when it comes to playoff football and not being able to rely on the run game, though, they're going to have to trust in Singletary. And being able to play in bad weather is definitely a concern. We look at what happened in the Patriots-Bills game in the first game, right? All they did was run down your throat. You couldn't outrun them. You couldn't control the line of scrimmage. So in Buffalo, there is weather. Defense wins championships. You got to have a good run game. That's all I talked about on the podcast last year. I'm probably going to talk about that majority of the podcast this year. So if my predictions are right, I have them as a three seed hosting against the Pats again. So as long as the weather doesn't massively affect this game, which, I mean, who knows? I'm going to take the Bills to win that game, but time will tell. Um, on week 16, I was 11 and five in picks. I'm now 141 and 86 on the season. So let's talk about this past week. Thursday night football, a doozy. I'm in Montana. First day there. I'm excited for some football. Got my parlay started with the Niners and the freaking Titans find a way to win this game, man. They went 20 to 17, uh, as their path towards the number one seed in the AFC just became that much easier. Uh, Ryan Tannehill was 22 of 29, 209 yards and a touchdown. This guy's just played consistent football and done enough to get the job done. Their running game as a unit, obviously no Derrick Henry still. Only 90 yards, led by Jeremy Nichols, McNichols, who had seven carries for 31. So not a lot happening in the run game. But A.J. Brown was back, and boy was he fucking back. 11 catches on 16 targets. They gave this boy 16 targets. He got 145 yards and a touchdown and pretty much put the offense on his back as the rest of the receiving core had 60 yards. For the Niners, Jimmy G was 26 for 35, 
322 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Um, this is where he hurt his elbow. Jeff Wilson Jr. led the team as um, Elijah Mitchell is still out. He got 14 carries, but only mustered 45 yards. It's a 3.2 average and a touchdown. He only had a long run and nine yards. Debo Samuel led the receiving core, nine catches for a buck 59. So we outdid A.J. Brown, but A.J. Brown's team came away with the victory. You got to love these two receivers. They're going to be in the league a long time. They're physical. They're big. They can outjump you. They're fast. They're just the whole package. And then Brandon Ayuk had a touchdown reception. When we look at the defensive side of things, Tennessee got to Jimmy G twice as a unit. For San Francisco, they got to Tannehill four times. Samson Abukum had four tackles, a sack and a half, a tackle for a loss, and two QB hits. Amani Hooker and Janoris Jenkins had interceptions for Tennessee. And that really was the difference. When we look at the conversion rate, Tennessee was 9-16 for third. Um, San Francisco was only 3-8, of eight, and they went 1-for-2 on fourth. They did out-yard the Titans, the Niners did, by 110, 111 specifically. But they lost the turnover battle 2-0, to zero, and they outpossessed the, the Titans by a minute. So great action to start the week. And this week you get some football on Christmas, some Christmas action. You get the Packers, Browns, Colts, Cardinals, and both games were doozies. The Browns battled, but the Packers were the winner, 24-22, as they look to wrap up the one seed in the NFC. And really, Aaron Rodgers looking MVP-like, 24-34, 202 yards and three touchdowns. Aaron Jones looking quick and, and better than ever. 12 carries for 66 yards. A.J. Dillon had 41 on nine. Devontae Adams, wide receiver one. 10 catches, 114 yards, and two touchdowns. He took over the game. For the Browns offense, Baker Mayfield, that shoulder's just not looking good. He was 21 of 36 for 222, two touchdowns, and four interceptions on the day. But Nick Chubb did his thing. He had 17 carries for 126 yards and a touchdown. It's a 7.4 average, and he had a long run at 27 yards. The son of a gun also led the team in receiving three catches for 58 yards. Defensively, Devondre Campbell was all over the field. He had 13 tackles and a pass defended. Rashawn Gary had three tackles and two sacks and three QB hits on the day. And as a unit, the Packers got to make uh, Baker Mayfield five times. For the Browns, MJ Stewart Jr. had 10 tackles and two for tackles for a loss. They got no sacks on Aaron Rodgers. And then Rajul Douglas, what a fucking signing that was. He, he got two of Baker's picks. Shannon Sullivan and Darnell Savage as well. When we look at the conversion rate for the Packers, it was only 3-for-10 on third. They did go 1-for-1 one one on fourth. The Browns were 7-for-12 on third, 1-for-1 one one on fourth. They were moving the ball, but just kept turning it over. They out-yarded the um, Packers by 90 and were minus 4 in the turnover differential and out-possessed the Packers by 3 minutes. So the Browns' season continues to be a bummer as they were seen to be a favorite to win the AFC North. And then the Colts were able to take it down to the Cardinals in the desert. Carson Wentz played consistent football, 18-28, 225, and two touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor, MVP candidate, did his thing. 27 carries, 108 yards. It's a 4.0 average. And then Michael Pittman Jr. had eight catches for 82 yards. T.Y. Hilton, 
uh, had 51 yards and a touchdown. For the Cardinals offense, Kyler Murray, 27 to 43, 245 and a touchdown. He led the team in rushing with 74 yards. Although Chase Edmonds back in action had 16 carries for 56 yards. It's only a 3.5 average and he did find the end zone. And Edmonds also led the team in receiving eight catches for 71 yards. A lot of checkdowns. The Cardinals defense was led by Buda Baker with 13 tackles, a sack, two tackles for a loss, a pass defended, and two QB hits. So he's a little, little bit of everywhere. As a unit, they only got to Carson Wentz twice. For the Colts, they got no sacks on Kyler Murray and no, no standouts defensively, which is unusual. The Cardinals were 6-13 on third, 1-3 for three on fourth. The Colts were 8-15 on third. The Colts or the Cardinals out-yarded the Colts by 30 yards. Neither team had turnovers. And the Colts out-possessed the Cardinals by 11 minutes. So there's some Christmas football. Then obviously more action Sunday and another Monday night game. Sunday morning, the game everyone was looking forward to as the Falcons go to 7-8 and eight and beat the 2-12 and 12 Lions 20-16. And this was without um, the Lions starting quarterback, Jared Goff. Tim Boyle led the way 24-34, 187 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Jamal Williams was RB1 as DeAndre Swift was still out. He had 19 carries for 77 yards. It's a 4.1 average. He ended up getting more than Craig Reynolds, who had been hot lately. And then Amron St. Brown, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, he leads the team in receiving again, nine catches, 91 yards, and a touchdown. For the Falcons, Matt Ryan, 18-24, 215 yards, and a touchdown. Mike Davis, seven carries for 28 yards. It's a 4.0 average. And then Kyle Pitts led the team in receiving six catches, 102 yards. Uh, Russell Gage did lose a fumble. Defensively for the Falcons, Foisade Alukin having another another standout game with an interception, 14 tackles, a tackle for a loss, and a pass defended. Deion Jones, always double-digit tackling machine, 10 tackles and a pass defended. They got no sacks on Tim Boyle. The Lions defense got three sacks as a unit, and there was nothing standout that stood out outside of that. The Falcons somehow won with the 2-8 and eight conversion rate on third down. They did go one for one on fourth. The Lions were seven to 16 on third down and three for four on fourth. The Lions uh, out yarded the Falcons by 80. They both had a turnover and the Lions out possessed the Falcons by 17 minutes. And then we had some AFC North football. The AFC North is being dominated by the Cincinnati Bengals as they cruise through the beat up uh, Ravens 41 to 21. And this is all Joe fucking Burrow, man. Have yourself a cigar, have some whiskey, whatever you need. He went 37 to 46, 525, and four tutties on the day. Joe Mixon chipped in 18 carries for 65 yards. It's only a 3.5, 3.6 average. Uh, he did find the end zone. But let's give all these guys some yards. T. Higgins, 12 catches, a buck 94, and two tutties. Jamar Chase. Seven for 125. Shoot, let's give Tyler Boyd 85 yards in a tutty. Let's give Joe Mixon 70 in a tutty. You got some bangles in your fantasy. You're looking good. Because of COVID, Tyler Huntley out. Lamar Jackson out. Insert Josh Johnson. He goes 28 to 40, 304 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. 
The Ravens as a whole unit only mustered 39 rushing yards. Devonta Freeman led the way with six carries for 17 yards. It's under a three yard per uh, three yards per carry average. He did get a touchdown. Mark Andrews had a buck 25 on eight catches and a touchdown. Boomer fucking sooner. Don't matter who's playing quarterback. That guy's eating. Josh Johnson did uh, have some fumble issues, but didn't lose them. The Bengals defense only sacked uh, Johnson once. The Ravens offense as a unit or defense as a unit got three sacks on Burrow and Tony Jefferson had 10 tackles, a sack, a tackle for a loss, a pass defended and a QB hit. And the only interception on the day was Von Bell for the Bengals. The Bengals were 5 of 10 on third down, 2 for 2 on fourth. The Ravens were 6 of 11 on third, 0 for 1 on fourth. The Bengals outyarded the Ravens by 240. They won the turnover battle 0 to 1, so plus 1, and outpossessed the Bengals or the Ravens by 15 minutes. A little shift in the AFC North here, maybe. So then there's some NFC action as the Vikings are fighting for their lives, but they drop a close one to the Rams, 30 to 23. Matthew Stafford led the way 21 of 37, 197, and a touchdown, although he somehow won with three picks on the afternoon. Sonny Michelle killing it on the ground game. Uh, 27 carries for a buck 31. That's a 4.9 average and a touchdown. This is where Darrell Henderson got hurt. Cooper Cup over the 100 mark as he strives his way to the NFL record. 10 catches for a buck 109 yards. The Viking offense, Kirk Cousins was 27 to 38, 315, a touchdown and a pick. With no Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison led the way with 13 carries for 41 yards. It's only a 3.2 average and a touchdown. And Justin Jefferson had 116 yards on eight catches, but CJ Osborne with the lone touchdown reception. Defensively, the Vikings got no sacks as a unit. Anthony Barr had two interceptions and Xavier Woods had one. For the Rams defense, they got to Kirk Cousins three times and Traven Howard with an interception. The Vikings were 2 of 12 on third, one for one on fourth. The Rams were 7 of 14 on third, one for one on fourth. The Rams were out yarded by the Vikings by five measly yards. They lost the turnover battle three to one, so they were minus two, and both teams had 30 minutes of possession but the Rams found a way to win. Tough loss for the Vikings. I'm sure having Dalvin Cook would have been uh, a big benefit there. And then while I was on the ski hill this Sunday during football, um, made a nice fun bet as my friend is a Patriots fan. Obviously, they beat the Bills in that crazy weather football game. I didn't expect the same outcome, and that was the case. I won me some nice cheddar. The Bills beat the Patriots 33-21. to If this is indeed the wildcard matchup, what a matchup we will have. Josh Allen, 30-47, 314, and three touchdowns. He also led the team in rushing with 12 carries for 64 yards. That's the difference when you don't have to only run, but you may be forced to only run the playoffs. Devin Singletary also had 12 carries, but only got 39 yards. It's a 3.3 average. He did find the end zone. They're going to need more from this guy if they want to win in the postseason. They got to trust him too. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie led the team in receiving 11 catches, a buck 25 and a touchdown. Although they did have pretty much a healthy receiving core. Isaiah McKenzie doing his thing. 
For the Pats, Mac Jones, 14-32, 145, and two picks. It's a rookie move, uh, rookie, rookie show, show out there. I wonder what Bill Belichick, hard to say to his rookie after the game. Damian Harris had a day again on the ground against the Bills. 18 carries for a bucko three, 5.7 average, and three touchdowns. And Jacoby Myers led the team in receiving with six catches for 59 yards. Defensively, the Pats got no sacks on Josh Allen, which is not going to get the job done. The Bills only sacked Mac Jones once, but Micah Hyde had two interceptions on the rookie. The Pats were a measly 1 of 10 on third, but they did go 5 for 6 on fourth down. The Bills were 6 to 12 on third. They went 3 for 4 on fourth. The Bills outyarded the um, Patriots by a buck 40. They won the turnover battle 0 to 2, so they were plus 2. And they outpossessed the uh, Pats by 11 minutes. Some good, good divisional fun there. But the Bills still find a way to get the division, as long as they don't choke the rest of the way out. Then we get the battle of the rookie quarterbacks. Zach Wilson's team finds a way to win as they go to 4-11. The Jets beat the Jaguars 26-21. And the Jaguars' crazy season continues as they fall to 2-13. Zach Wilson was 14-22, a buck, 102 yards, and a touchdown. Trevor Lawrence was 26-39, for 280 yards, no touchdowns. The run game for the Jets was reinvigorated with Michael Carter back on scene. He had 16 carries for 118 yards. It's a 7.4 average. They also split the load with Telvin Coleman, who got 14 carries, but only mustered 57 yards, still a 4.1 average. Zach Wilson himself ran for 91 yards and a touchdown. He had that long touchdown run at 52 yards, which was fun to watch. And then Dare Ogunbale led the Jaguars in rushing with James Robinson out with the Achilles. 17 carries for 57 yards. It's a 3.4 average. He found the end zone. The receiving core for the Jaguars was led by the vet, Marvin Jones. Eight catches, 74 yards. Tavon Austin chipped in for 68. And Laquan Treadwell with 54. What a misfit unit that is. And then for the Jets, they were led by Braxton Berrios, who only had 37 yards on five, catch, uh, five catches. Trevor Lawrence did lose a fumble. For the defense, the Jets only got to Trevor Lawrence once, and that was by C.J. Mosley. He also had 10 tackles and a QB hit. For the Jags defense, they only got to Zach Wilson once, and nothing noteworthy from their defense. The Jags were four, or 6 of 13 on third, 2 for 3 on fourth. The Jets were 4 of 12 on third, 3 of 5 on fourth. The Jags outpossessed the Jets by 10, 10 yards. Not outpossessed, outyarded them by 10 yards. They lost a turnover battle 1 to 0 and outpossessed the Jets by 5 minutes. The dumpster fire. Speaking of dumpster fire, we had some NFC East football. The Eagles beat the Giants 34 to 10. Jalen Hurts was 17 of 29, a buck 99 and two touchdowns. Some good play by him. Miles Sanders had 45 yards before injury. Boston Scott had 12 carries for 41 yards and a touchdown as well. Devontae Smith, the rookie, led the way. A little Alabama connection, five catches, 80 yards and a touchdown. He had a long reception of 46 yards. The Giants offense, no Danny Dimes. Mike Glennon starts, but they had Jake Fromm. Neither player had very good performances. Glennon had 93 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Jake Fromm was 6-17 for 25 yards. 
You would expect Saquon Barkley to get a heavy load. He did get 15 carries, but only got 32 yards. It's a 2.1 average. And Kadarius Tony led the team in receiving with four catches for 28 yards. What a barn burner. Defensively, TJ Edwards for the Eagles with 16 tackles, a pass defended. Alex Singleton, 12 tackles, a pass defended, and a touchdown. And as a unit, they got two sacks on the Giants quarterbacks. For the Giants, they got one sack as a unit. No noteworthy performances. Alex Singleton had that pick six, and Rodney McLeod had an interception for the Eagles as well. Now, the Eagles are 5 of 13 on third, 0 for 1 on fourth. The Giants are 1 for 2 on fourth and 8 of 20 on third down. The Eagles outyarded the the Giants by 140. They won the turnover battle 2 to 0, so plus 2, and were outpossessed by the Giants by a minute. So now the Bucks that we just dove into they dominated their divisional opponent, the Panthers, 32-6. to Sam Darnold got some action in here coming back to the team. Sam Darnold was 15-32, 190 yards. I don't know if that screams franchise quarterback and what, what's going to happen with the Panthers QB room next year. Cam Newton was 7-13, 61 yards and a pick before giving ways to Sam Darnold. Cam Newton did lead the team in rushing with five rushes for 42 yards. Chuba Hubbard did get six carries, but only had nine yards. It's a 1.5 average. And the team was led by She Smith, who had three catches for 86 yards. She Smith is a rookie wide receiver from South Carolina. Not heard of him before. For the Buccaneers, obviously, they were led by Tom Brady, 18 to 30, 232 and a touchdown. Keyshawn Vaughn, seven carries for 70 yards and a touchdown. Ronald Jones, 20 carries, 65 yards. That's a 3.3 average and a touchdown. And with AB back, he had 10 catches, 101 yards to lead the, lead the team in receiving with no Mike Evans and obviously no Chris Godwin. Defensively for the Panthers, they got no sacks or turnovers. For the Buccaneers, they were able to get seven sacks as a unit. William Golston had two and a half of those with three tackles and three QB hits. And Jordan Whitehead had an interception. The Panthers were 7 of 18 on third down, 0 for 2 on fourth. The Bucks 7 of 14 on third down, 0 for, or didn't go for a fourth down conversion. They outyarded the Panthers by 120, won the turnover battle 1 to 0, and outpossessed the Panthers by seven minutes. Some championship football right there. The Texans somehow beat the Chargers. This was the wild game of the day and probably ruined a lot of bets. I, let's see, does it show what the odds were? The odds were crazy. Doesn't show. Uh, but Justin Herbert in defeat was 27 to 35. They lost 29 to 41 to the Texans. He was 27 to 35, 336 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Justin Jackson with no Eckler led the way for the uh, running uh, running backs. 11 catches, 64 yards, and two touchdowns. It's a 5.8 average. And he led the team in receiving with 98 yards. He did lose a fumble, though. For the Texans' offense, Davis Mills looking more appealing as the season goes on for them as a returning quarterback. 
It was 21-27, 254 yards and two touchdowns. Rex fucking Burkhead, though, leading the way. You have him in fantasy or crazy starting the playoffs. I had him, but I was eliminated. He went 22 carries, 149 yards, and two touchdowns. It's a 6.8 average. And then Chris Conley with three catches for 60 yards and a touchdown to lead the team in receiving. Defensively for the Texans, they got one sack as a unit. Neville Hewitt had 11 tackles. Desmond King had 10 and a pass defended. For the Chargers defense, Kaiser White had 11 tackles. Christian Covington with 10. And then for the Texans, Tavir Thomas and Jonathan Owens had the interceptions. So we look at this, look at the statistics. Like, how the hell did the Texans really pull this off? Well, they were 9 of 13 on third down, which is great. The Chargers were a very respective 6 of 9 on third. The Texans outyarded the Chargers by 20. But they won the turnover battle 3-0, to zero, plus 3, and outpossessed the Chargers by 9 minutes. It's like the, the Chiefs earlier. It doesn't matter how much more talented you are. You, turn the, you have that kind of a turnover differential. Good luck winning the football game. And then the Bears come to Seattle in a snow game. Here in Lumen Field, you get a snow game. There's snow everywhere. Merry Christmas, White Christmas. I leave here and they get some snow. Well, the Bears uh, go for a two-point conversion led by Nick Foles to take it to the Seahawks 25-24. to Both teams are at 5-10. and Nick Foles is 24-35, 250 yards and a touchdown. Big Dick Nick is back. And then David Montgomery did his thing. I mean, he had 21 carries for 45 yards, which isn't very good. It's a 2.1 average. He did find the end zone. But he led the team in receiving with seven uh, catches for 61 yards. The Seahawks, led by Russell Wilson, went 16-27, 181 yards and two touchdowns. Rashad Penny fighting for his NFL life. They give this man 17 carries. He puts up a buck 35. That's a 7.9 average. And he found the end zone in a long run of 32 yards against a very good defense. And then Gerald Everett led the team in receiving four catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown. On the defensive side of the ball, the Seahawks got four sacks on Mr. Foles. Two of those from Carlos Dunlap, who had five tackles, a pass defended, and three QB hits. Two of those also from Rasheem Green, who also had two tackles, two tackles for a loss, and four QB hits. Statistically, the Seahawks were 3 of 10 on third, 0 for 1 on fourth. Not very good. The Bears were 7 of 14 on third, 1 for 3 on fourth. The Seahawks outyarded the Bears by 15. Neither team had a turnover, and the Bears outpossessed the Seahawks by 17 minutes. And thank God I was snowboarding and not suffering through this football game. I had a, had a feeling my spider senses were tingling. This was going to end out this way. The Chiefs stomped the Steelers in Arrowhead 36-10. Pat Mahomes 23-30, 258, and three touchdowns. Darrell Williams with 55 yards. Derek Gore with 43 yards. CEH with 27 yards and a touchdown before injuring a shoulder. Darrell Williams had the best average at five yards per average. And then Brian Pringle, of all people, leading the team in receiving 75 yards and two touchdowns. Derek Gore had 61 receiving yards as well as his 43 rushing, so went over 100 on the day. For the Steelers, Big Ben, 23 of 35, a buck 59, a touchdown, and a pick. Najee Harris did run very well, 
19 carries for 93 yards. It's a 4.9 average. And Deontay Johnson led the team in receiving with 51 yards on six catches and a touchdown. Big Ben and Deontay Johnson lost a fumble in the day. That flea flicker didn't go very well either. Um, the defense for the Chiefs got to Big Ben twice. Charvarius uh, Ward ended up with the interception on that flea flicker. The Steelers got to Pat Mahomes twice. Robert Spillane had 13 tackles. He's a downhill linebacker. And Minka Fitzpatrick with 12 tackles, a pass defended. And Joe Schobert, another stud linebacker, 10 tackles and a tackle for loss. Don't even want to see these. Huh. Well, the, the Chiefs are 4 of 11 on third, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Steelers are 5 of 13 on third, 2 for 3 on fourth. The Chiefs outyarded the Steelers by 80. They were plus 3 in the turnover department and outpossessed the Steelers by 9 minutes. Well, AFC West action. Both teams fighting for their lives, more so the Raiders. Well, they beat the Broncos in Vegas 17 to 13. Derek Carr just willing his team to victory. 20 of 25, 201 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Josh Jacobs running aggressive like we expect. 27 carries, 129 yards, it's a 4.8 average. And Foster Moreau, of all people, leading the team in receiving. Four catches, 67 yards, as they're still without Darren Waller. Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs did lose fumbles. For Drew Locke, in, in place of Teddy Bridgewater, who had the concussion, he went 15 to 22, a buck 53. He was sacked twice for an 87.9 rating. Don't know how that franchise feels about you after that kind of a showing. Uh, Javante Williams led the team in rushing, seven carries, 12 yards, and a touchdown. Melvin Gordon only mustered seven, or did get seven carries as well, but only got minus four yards. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Jerry Judy led the team in receiving three catches for 60 yards. He had a long ball of 40. The Raiders defense got to Drew Locke twice. No standouts defensively. For the Broncos, Jonas Griffith had 13 tackles, uh, two tackles for a loss. Shelby Harris had a sack and a half, five tackles, and two QB hits. And Bradley Chubb pulled off an interception on the outside. The Raiders were 6-12 on third, 1-for-1 one one on fourth. The Broncos were a terrible 1-for-10 on third and 1-for-1 uh, one one on fourth. The Raiders out-yarded the Broncos by 200 yards, uh, lost the turnover battle 3-0, to zero, and out-possessed the Broncos by 13 minutes. Utter domination. And then the Cowboys just showed out on Sunday night. Showed out so much, I turned the show off. They smoked the Washington football team 56-14. to 14, Getting hot right at the right time. Dak goes 28-39, 330 and four touchdowns. Yeah, by the time I'm eliminated in fantasy, that would happen. Dak was my quarterback. My team's name was Dak's my boy. Zeke Elliott had nine carries for 37 yards and a touchdown. That's only a 4.1 average. And then Amari Cooper led the team with 85 yards and a touchdown. For Washington, Heineke was 7 of 22, 121 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. Um, with Antonio Gibson getting hurt, Jarrett Patterson had nine carries for 33 yards to lead the way. That's under a four average. And then Diami Brown led the team in receiving with two catches for 53 yards. Defensively for the Cowboys, they got to their quarterbacks five times, but no super standout performances. 
Demarcus Lawrence and Trayvon Diggs did get interceptions. D-Law back in action. Uh, for Washington, Jeremy Reeves got 11 tackles. Bobby McCain, 10 tackles. And statistically, the Cowboys were 10 of 15 on third, one for one on fourth. Washington was 3 of 13 on third, one for two on fourth. The Cowboys out-yarded the Washington football team by 240 yards. We're plus two in the turnover differential and outpossessed Washington by three minutes. And then on Monday, the Dolphins keep winning. Ian Book starting for the Saints as they lose to the Dolphins 20-3. Ian Book in his first NFL start, the Notre Dame alum, 12 of 20, a buck 35, and two picks on the day. It's a 40.6 rating. Alvin Kamara had 13 carries for 52 yards. It's a 4.0 average. And Lil Jordan Humphrey led the team in receiving with three catches for 70 yards. Miami, Tua, Tunga Vailoa. It's always hard to say that. I've heard it on TV enough times. You shouldn't be able to do it. Uh, he was 19 of 26, a buck 98, a touchdown and interception. Duke Johnson, the newly acquired running back, 13 carries for 39 yards. Philip Lindsay and also late season acquisition at 13 carries for 36. Neither running back over right out of 3.0 or under average. But Jalen Waddle, Tua's favorite guy, 10 catches, 92 yards and a touchdown. Defensively for the Saints, Pete Warner had 10 tackles. Cameron Jordan got two sacks, six tackles, and two QB hits. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore had an interception from Tua. For uh, the Dolphins, they had eight sacks on the day. Jerome Baker had a sack and a half, six tackles, two tackles for a loss, and three QB hits. Emmanuel Ogba had five tackles, two sacks, a tackle for a loss, and three QB hits. Nick Needham and Brandon Jones with interceptions for the Finns. What a story of the Finns, right? Um, I knew that they would they overperformed last year. I didn't expect them to be a playoff team, but they go one they go one and seven, and now find themselves at eight and seven, above five hundred. What an accomplishment! Uh, the Saints were zero for twelve on third down. Holy cow! One for three on fourth. The Dolphins five of fifteen on third. The Dolphins outpossessed the Saints by by 90 yards. They lost, they won the turnover battle one to two, so they're plus one, and outpossessed the Saints by seven minutes. Week 16 action. Titans huge win. Did not expect that, right? I, I picked the 49ers there. The Browns showing some life, not good enough. The Colts are hotter than ever as they beat the Cardinals. How about them Bengals? The AFC North. Bengals, everybody else. Um, the Bills taking it to the Pats, getting that revenge game. The Bears finding a way to win in the snowy Seattle. And the Raiders keep their playoff hopes alive. The Dolphins' run continues. Well, we have a lot of things going on in the bowl world, right? Hawaii was pulling out of the bowl game. Miami's out of the Sun Bowl. Military and Fenway Bowls canceled. The Holiday Bowl called off as UCLA doesn't have enough linemen. That happened the day of. Boise State's out of the Arizona Bowl. So Central Michigan ends up playing Washington State. All these different things. But when we look at it, at the end of the day, since we had last talked, I did pretty good on bowl picks. I'm happy. I'm happy about it. I was 25 and 11. 
Is that good or great or bad? Not too sure. Let me know what your bull picks were. How'd you do? Do you like to do bull picks? I love to do me some bull picks. So after last Thursday, you have the Christmas weekend. There was no bowl games. Western Michigan ended up trouncing Nevada 52-24. to Glad I picked Western Michigan in that game. Auburn, without a lot of playmakers, drops to Houston, the 20-ranked Houston squad. Uh, Bigsby did have 96 yards as a rusher, but, you know, we take that with a grain of salt as Auburn was missing lots of pieces. Air Force found a way to beat Louisville. I picked all three of those games correctly. That was a close one, 31-28 on Tuesday. Texas Tech demolishing Mississippi State. This is one that I did not see happening. Um, obviously, the fun story is Mississippi State's coach, ex-Washington State coach, ex-Texas Tech coach. So fighting his alumni, alum. Uh, Will Rogers was 32 of 53, 290 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. I had a parlay around this game. I had live bet this game. This was a bad game for me. I thought they had come back as they like to throw the football. It wasn't enough. Texas Tech played clean football the whole game. Minnesota ended up beating West Virginia 18-6. I wasn't very surprised about that one. I figured Minnesota would run all over them, and that was the case. Kai Tom, uh, Thomas had 144 yards and a touchdown. It's a 6.9 average. Uh, Marquise Irving had 129 yards. It's a 6.8 average on 19 carries. And Tanner Morgan had a pick but didn't have to do much to beat West Virginia. But then the day that I, I was supposed to come home Tuesday, didn't come home until Wednesday. By the time the whole airport fiasco is back, just in time to watch. Oklahoma do work against Oregon and boy did that feel good after all the craziness with Lincoln Riley all the transferring it was good to see Caleb Williams play he was 21 to 27 242 yards and three touchdowns Kenny Brooks his last game as a Sooner before he enters the NFL 14 carries for 142 yards it's a 10.1 average he also found the end zone three times saw some young play in the receivers it was a high-scoring game. It was fun to see. Um, we'll talk about it more on the next episode about now we know that Caleb Williams is tra- most likely transferring. Uh, so more stress for Sooner fans. But um, a game I did not get correct. Clemson ended up beating Iowa State. This was a very good game I was watching while I was waiting for my baggage at the airport. Brock Purdy was 23 of 29, uh, 23 of 39. 204 yards and a touchdown. They didn't have Brees Hall, who probably could have been enough to make the difference. Uh, DJ Ugale, 21-32, 187 yards and a pick for Clemson. Big win for Clemson. Uh, Maryland trounces Virginia Tech 54-10. I did not expect that to be the result. I had picked Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is missing a ton of players. Uh, But Tua's brother, 20-24, 265 and two touchdowns. Go Terps, go which set us up for Thursday before the new year. I had originally picked Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett was out, switched mine to Michigan State. Michigan State got the job done. Peyton Thorne was 29 of 50, 354 yards and three touchdowns. Um, It was still a fun game. Pittsburgh was competitive damn near till the end. You can't ask for much more than that. Peyton Thorne did out of an interception as well. This game I did not get right. The Mayo Bowl, South Carolina demolishes North Carolina. I figured Sam Howell before the NFL would put on a show. He was 12 of 20, 205 yards and a touchdown. He did not run the ball. He did run the ball 13 carries supposedly. He only had three yards, so I would assume that he was just diving and playing it safe and avoiding injury. 
This game was wild. The freaking Music City Bowl. I picked Purdue. They found a way in overtime to get the job done. 48-45. to 45. This is where the bowl game just started getting interesting. You get the high scoring of the Oregon game. Michigan State game's decent. This game goes bonkers. Uh, Wisconsin, who I had picked, wins the Las Vegas Bowl over Arizona State. That was a great game. You're all pumped for New Year's. Everyone's feeling good. Bama rolls Cincinnati. Is that really a surprise? I'm not surprised. I'm happy Cincinnati got the chance. Desmond Ritter was 17 to 32, a buck 44 against a very good defense before his NFL career. So we'll see how that impacts his scouting, where he gets drafted. Bryce Young, though, 17 to 28, 181 yards and three touchdowns. Brian Robinson Jr., 26 carries. 204 yards. That's some SEC football right there. He had a 7.8 average in this game. And then Georgia, I didn't really need to watch this game much. They rolled Michigan as expected. I, I couldn't believe people thought Michigan really had a chance in this game. I was, you know, pretty damn confident this wouldn't be very close of a game. And I was right. Uh, Stetson Bennett was 20-30, 313 yards and three touchdowns. Um, Cade McNamara was 11 and 19, 106 yards. They could not run the ball against that bulldog defensive front. Can't wait for the matchup. I have Georgia winning in the rematch. They're not going to let these quick receiver bubble screens beat them. What will Nick Saban do? Well, Wake Forest all over Rutgers, 38 to 10. I expected this to be the outcome. It was great to let Sam Hartman get a bowl game. He was 23 of 39, 304 yards and three touchdowns. Have a season, sir, for Wake Forest. I ended up picking Washington State in this late combined Sun Bowl. They dropped the ball, did not look good. Central Michigan won 24 to 21. And then the New Year's games, Saturday, January 1st, 2022, NFTs, Metaverse, we're literally living in Ready Player One, but we still got some football. Uh, Oklahoma State escapes somehow. They're they're down pretty big early. Escapes with a victory, thirty-seven to thirty-five against Notre Dame. Spencer Sanders was thirty-four of fifty-one, three seventy-one, four touchdowns, and also ran seventeen times for a buck twenty-five. Uh, Jack Cohen was thirty-six of sixty-eight. They said, "Yo, we're throwing the ball sixty-eight times today." But he had 509 yards, five touchdowns, and a pick. Um, Lorenzo Styles had 136 receiving yards for Notre Dame. Tyree had 115. Kevin Austin Jr., 105. They all had touchdowns. Michael Mayer had 72 and 2 for Oklahoma State. Brendan Presley, a buck 37. Tay Martin, 104 and 3 touchdowns. Lots of offense. I had put in a parlay. That was a huge game for me, but it all ended up getting busted. With this game, as Baylor beat Ole Miss 21-7. to Hey, Altmaier, he tried his best. But at the end of the day, the story here was Matt Carell and his injury right out the gates. Now, that's why they say you shouldn't play before the NFL. He said, no, I want to be here without my team. I'm playing. What's your guys' take on that? Should these guys sit out? Should they not? For me, I guess it really depends. If you're like a guaranteed first-round pick and it's a, not a meaningful bowl game, sure. That's a pretty meaningful game, I think, as you look at it, right? Ole Miss, Baylor, Big 12, a high-ranked team. It's a Sugar Bowl. I, I say you should play, but, you know, who am I? What do I know? Um, And then this game was a blast. Ohio State beating Utah. Utah came out guns ablaze and early up 14-0. to 
and they cannot stop this man. Holy shit. Jackson Smith Najiba, 15 catches, 347 yards, and three freaking touchdowns. I had picked Ohio State. I didn't root for them, so I was kind of emotional, wanted Utah to figure it out. But you can't be giving up plays like that. This guy was all over. He looked like freaking um, the rookie out of Cincinnati just out there, Jamar Chase, owning people, one-on-one. Come at me. What you got? And this game was a lot closer and came down to the wire than I expected, but Kentucky beat Iowa 20-17. to I figured they would because Iowa's offense is putrid. And I hate that they were ranked so high. You know, they were even in the playoff picture at one point. And for me, that was frustrating. As an Oklahoma fan, you're like, no, we would demolish Iowa. Oklahoma, not we. Oklahoma would demolish Iowa. So if we pull it up, dang it. I don't know it worked. No, it didn't. Come on now. All right, one last time. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I was trying to see what Petrus's line was. Fat fingering it. So I don't believe they had many yards. I didn't catch this game till late, but was glad they won. Petrus, 211 yards, a touchdown, and three picks. Surprise, surprise. Um, Will Levis was 233, a touchdown, and a pick. And Chris Rodriguez Jr. had 107 yards on 20 carries and a touchdown for Kentucky. This game wasn't as close. Arkansas really just runs through Penn State. You're kind of interested. You know Penn State's without some playmakers, but Sean Clifford is playing. He was 14-32, a buck 95, a touchdown, and two picks. Somehow led the team in rushing with 46 yards, but he didn't have his number one target. That's really the big offensive playmaker for Penn State, and he is going to be an animal in the NFL. K.J. Jefferson did the damn thing by himself. He was 14 of 19 for 98 yards, no touchdowns. He did throw a pick, but he ran 20 times for 110 yards and a touchdown as well. Had a long run of 34 as Arkansas beats them. I picked that right. Kansas State rolls LSU with a lot of uh, people in LSU not playing in this game. Deuce Vaughn, 21 carries, 146, three tutties. The deuce is loose. Great to see you go Big 12. So we will talk about on the next episode, prepping for Georgia Bama. The SEC, man, they just keep getting richer. You know, if you're a, you're either win the, with them or against them, I've always been against them. Of course, they're going to be in the championship. All right, so let's talk UFC. There's still no fights, but end of year, you're wondering, you're thinking, you're hypothesizing what's going on. Well, Kevin Lee, the newly signed Eagle FC fighter, Gets to face Diego Sanchez in his first fight. I love Diego. All props to you, brother. But I feel bad that that's the situation. I'm surprised they're even letting this fight happen. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see how Kevin Lee does and how Eagle FC does as it starts growing and landing fights. Kaikar of France is fighting Askar Askarov in the flyweight. He said he should get a title fight. I said, nah, I don't think you should. The UFC agreed with me. But this is going to be an amazing fight. 2022 uh ian heinish out for the phil haas fight insert sam alvey phil haas has got to win this one i expect him to win this one handily but that's going to be a fun fight in 2022 on the women's side of thing marina rodriguez versus shinyon yan what a fight that's going to be this is a fight that i kind of assumed would happen 
But Marina Rodriguez on her way to a title if she could win that fight. It's going to be fun. And then we had some fury. You know, I'm, I'm missing the fights. It's been more weeks than, it, it, you know, a lot longer of a break from fighting than it has been in some to- quite some time. So we get a little fury grappling with some big names. Carla Esparza is grappling, gets this crazy cut on her eye from a, a, a slam on her head. So she ended up getting defeated by Danielle Kelly, but a lot of that was because the, the the eye cut. How about Sean Brady defeating Craig Jones? Basically, took got on top of him and laid on him, so it wasn't much action. Uh, they're not allowed to have like hill hooks or any crazy like ankle picks or locks, I don't think. So there were some weird rules there, but still huge for Sean Brady as his stock keeps increasing. Joe Selecki takes it to Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, with a rear naked choke at the 317 mark. Clay Guida defeating Billy Quarantillo via judge's decision. The Carpenter always at work. Um, Joaquim Silva defeats Neil Magny via submission. He had a guillotine choke two minutes, 47 seconds in. Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres defeats Eddie Torres via submission, rear naked choke at the 235 mark. Cody Hamrod ended up defeating Kevin Holland via judge's decision. Kevin Holland, as you know, big mouth made the show, though. Definitely, you can look at his Instagram, his socials, see what he was happening. He was, you know, getting the crowd going. Ultimate Fighter alum Andre Petrosky defeating Phil Haas via judge's decision. I did not get to catch this. I'm very interested to see how that, that played out. And then Jillian Robertson defeats Chrissy Briggs. So at least we had a little bit of action in the fight game. But it makes me wonder, let's reminisce on 2021's fights. And this next episode, we'll talk about 2022 and who I expect to be the champs. But when we look, everyone's doing their MMA awards. I wanted to give you guys, in my opinion, who should earn these awards. So I went through some main ones. We got fight of the year, fighter of the year. To me, this one's simple. The Nigerian nightmare, Kamaro Usman, after three title defenses and two knockouts against some badass motherfuckers, he is leveling up. Right, there's levels to these games. Oh, you could do this, this, and this. Well, I could do this, 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 and this. Now I've added this. Now I've done this. This motherfucker, there's levels. He's at that GSP level right now. He's at that Khabib level. He is looking unstoppable. Female fighter, my girl, easy one. Rose, Thug Rose, Name Yunus. She got her title back, and she defended it twice against Zhang Wei Li. Rose Namajunas is a tough SLB. She deserves it. How about Breakthrough Fighter of the Year? Well, I think, you know, the, the Lego fan that he is, it's kind of the baby face that he has. How can you not give it and love Brandon Moreno for everything he's done? You look at Divas and Figueredo, this guy's a savage. He looks like an assassin. He's beaten some very high-level competition. And Brandon Moreno has been kicking his ass, taking it to him and bursting him onto the scene. I'm not really stoked about the trilogy. You know, hopefully for Brandon's sake, he gets the job done. And then we can see him against some other guys because I'd love to see him against some other guys. Maybe he's just the perfect matchup for Figueredo. We'll see. But I'm going to give him the Breakthrough Fighter of the Year. They have an award for International Fighter of the Year. I'm going to agree with what I've seen most places. Israel Adesanya, the last style bender. I mean, it was one of the biggest draws in UFC right now. I think the fight of the year, hands down, the shit got me so fired up. This is one that I'll watch replays all day, every day. Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, 
and the gladiator fucking brawl that we ended up see going down. Uh, knockout of the year. This has been more of a, you know, opinionated award. I'm giving it to Usman and his knockout versus Masvidal. I think with the stakes, Masvidal was really getting up at a high level. And the way that he landed that with the freaking sweat coming off, he had style points, you know, all the all the shit talking within that. I think that that was knockout of the year. There's lots of other good knockouts that are, are worthy. But I think at the stakes, the peak of both fighters, the level that they were at, the intensity, for me that was like, damn, Kamaru can strike with the best. He can knock out legit fighters. So for me, that's knockout of the year. Uh, comeback of the year. I have to give it to Charles Oliveira in that Chandler fight, man. That first round, he got starched. And right at the second round, he came around and, and and put the fight in his hands. I had no clue that, that was coming. After round one, I was completely convinced that Michael Chandler was going away with that fight. So I have to give it to Charlie Olives, as Dan Hooker would say. Coach of the year, there's no debate here. Trevor Whitman, Rose, Gaethje, Usman. Like, come on. Come on. Please, UFC, get the Onyx gloves. Please, please, no more eye pokes. And then comeback fighter of the year. How can you not give it to action man Chris Curtis? This guy has been fighting for UFC his whole life. Gets a huge win in MSG. Turns around, does the knockout in Vegas against a very, very good fighter. And now he's got some life, right? He's got some life in the UFC. So we got to give them props where props is due. So how about 2022? Well, there's a lot of fights that intrigue me. So I just listed out some fights that, like, these are what I'm more excited about. And I saw something on Twitter, maybe even today, sometime this week, talking about the first quarter of this year, we're going to get all the bad beef rematches out of the way, right? Officially, the Moreno fights, the trilogy is booked. We got the uh, Max Holloway trilogy booked. We got all these freaking... It's the second time and third time fights out the way. So hopefully those will be ended. We'll know who's clearly the better fighter and we can move on and let them fight new blood. I think 2022, we're going to see a lot of new blood. I would love to see Francis Ngannou versus John Jones. I highly doubt this will happen at this point, but God damn, imagine that fight. Uh, Cyril Gaon versus John Jones. I think if you're a true MMA fan, the Cyril Gon John Jones fight stylistically is going to be better, but the unknown of John at heavyweight versus the power of Francis, that's a very compelling storyline as well. Either way, can't be mad about it. Shit. How about Stipe Miocic and John Jones? We haven't seen Stipe in quite some time, but people forget he has accolades at the heavyweight division with that title that nobody does. He's still a bad motherfucker. And any of those fights for heavyweight for me with John Jones is must see TV. I mean, it's John Jones. We all want him to see him fight more. You know, we've kind of been deprived a lot of John Jones's fight fans with all the, you know, out of the octagon incidents he's gone through. Um, so I just keep thinking, man, John Jones, man, give me some fights, man. Yo, you got some Jones fights, bro. You got that smack, bro. I need some, some Jones fights, man. Uh, how about Kamzat Chimaev versus Gilbert Burns? I think Gilbert Burns has the best skill set for a top-level competitor in this division outside of the title fight for Kamzat. So let's see if he's legit or not. Give him Burns. Get, put him in there. Get the people what they want. Connor versus Nate 3. I love those first two fights, man. 
That's some boxing type shit, right? It's basically Rocky versus the Russian. Conor McGregor's going, going, going. Nate's taking it, taking it, taking it. Rounds four and five, and Nate's like, all right, bro, I'm coming at you, bro. So I would love to see the trilogy. How about Conor versus Max Holloway? They fought at such a young time in their careers. I would love to see them with Super Saiyan Max versus Conor on that left. What do we call Conor now? Now that he's past his prime, taking some losses, calf Conor, calf kick Conor. Super Saiyan Holloway and Calf Kit Connor. How about Jorge Masvidal versus Colby Covington? There's bad blood. They're two very high-level competitors of that division. And uh, they can fucking throw down. I don't think that would turn into wrestling. Maybe it would. But I think that would be a pure striking advantage because those guys hate each other. If Colby was smart, he probably would avoid that. But hey, if Usman can walk through him, maybe Colby can too. Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. There's potential that this doesn't happen in the near future because Charles could get big money fights. But Gaethje deserves that. I would love to see it. Uh, we've seen Charles against Dustin and Chandler. They've been good fights. we got to give Gaethje his, his due diligence as well. For me, in bantamweight, there's one, one, one massive fight that I think is the best of the best. Pewter Jan and TJ Dillashaw... I hope Pewter defeats Aljo. They give TJ the fight after what he had done with Corey. I don't know if that will happen, but God damn, that's going to be a fight. That's truly the bantamweight belt. The bantamweight's gone through a lot of interim this and that. To me, that's the true, true, true test of who the true champion is since TJ's had the USADA stick. A little legacy fight. Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo. Two guys that are the guys when you think of that weight class. Well, Jose's been in different weight classes, but you know, Cruz has always been in bantamweight. But these are two legendary guys that can settle it before they're completely past their primes. That would be so much fun for fight fans. Especially if you've come from the WEC days. You know, you know, a little bit of an aged fight fan, not a new era fight fan. And they both look good in their last showings. Pena versus Nunez too. I already expect we'd see this. You know, I was confidently stating that in the rematch, I think Nunez is going to start her, but we'll see. We'll see what the Venezuelan vixen can do. How about Joanna Youngjacek versus Whaley 2? I think this is very hypothetical, uh, very possible. Uh, that would be an awesome fight. The first one was Savage. So <laughs> let's run her back. I thought Joanna uh, did win, but I think the hematoma on the head kind of gave it to Whaley. Dan Hooker supposedly moving down. How about Dan Hooker versus, or, yeah. Down. Yeah, moving down. So how about Dan Hooker versus Brian Ortega? What a fucking fight that would be. Some high-level, pure striking, I would assume. Uh, Yair Rodriguez versus Mr. Clean, Josh Emmett. You kidding me? After what we just saw him do with uh, um, Max Holloway, what we just saw Emmett do in his first fight back, what I got to see live in T-Mobile Arena? That's a banger all day, every day. Even more intense, the best division in UFC. Rafael Fiziev versus Michael Chandler. Fiziev versus Chandler. Come on now. That's like fuck. Uh, like I can't I can't breathe. Like that's so intense. That would be that would be fire. And depending on what happens with the rematch, I would love to see Valentina, if Nunez doesn't get it back, against that next champion, Pena, whoever it is, to run champ champ. If not, run it with Nunez. 
If she beats Pena, I don't think there should be a trilogy. I think it should be Valentina Nunez. That's what we need to see. And if not, sign fucking Kayla Harrison and give her whoever too. We got lots of potential there in the women's division coming 2022. First thing, though, we got to get Kayla Harrison in the UFC. And that's it. We have no fights. We had a little bit of fury. Up next still, January 15th, next Saturday. So I'll have another episode, then another episode. So two episodes away. Giga Chikadze, Calvin Cater, headline, early 4 p.m. start. The fight game's coming back around, baby. How about some NBA action? Wrap up the show with some NBA, some college hoops. Well, in the NBA, Paul George has a torn ligament in his elbow. He's reevaluated in four to six weeks. Tough news for the Clippers. The Clippers are just suffering some tough injuries. And still no word on Kawhi. LeBron has a Christmas record for points in a Christmas Day games for 396 points. He's just going to keep breaking records. The Cavs, what a season they've had. Brutal news. Uh, you know, this guy is close to my heart. I've always liked him when he was in Minnesota. Played for the Jazz for some time. Ricky Rubio tearing his ACL out for the year. And then the Nets getting closer to full force. Kyrie's coming back as long as it's not in, uh, you know, New York or these places that he can't play because of the vaccine. Marcus Aldridge is returning, so it'll be interesting to see the Nets at full force. Does Kyrie miss a beat? But other than that, since last week, we had some games. So Thursday before Christmas, the Hawks beat the 76ers 98-96. to Joel Embiid with 23-10 and in the loss. Onika Nkwanku had 13 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists for the Hawks. The Wizards beat the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. Spencer Dinwiddie, love this man, 21-7-12. Kemba Walker back in the starting lineup, 44-9-8. Think there was a statement there? They didn't win, but big statement. The Bucks win one on the road against the um, Donchick-less Mavs. Drew Holiday goes 24-7-7. Nova Nation represent Jalen Brunson with 19-4-8. He's been hooping this year. Hopefully he gets paid. The Hornets beat the Nuggets on the road 115-107. They're 17-17. The Nuggets dropped to 15-16. P.J. Washington 13-9-5. Nikola Jokic 29-21. He's an animal. The Warriors beat the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies have been hot. The Warriors go to 26-6. and six. The Grizzlies drop to 19-14. and 14. Steph Curry, 46-4-4. DeAnthony Melton, 20-9. And, and then the Spurs smoke the Lakers, 138-110. LeBron does his thing, though, 36-9-6. Keita Bates-Diop, 30.7 rebounds for the Spurs. And as fired up as I was about Christmas games, a lot of stars were out. So it definitely lost some of its luster. The Knicks beat the Hawks in Madison Square Garden, led by Julius Randle, who had 25-12. and 12. DeLon Wright led the Hawks 20-4. and 4. The Celtics, or the Bucks, escaped the Celtics at home. Uh, Giannis had 36-12. and 12. Tatum, 25-9-4. The Warriors, Suns, this was the big game majority of the, the star stud playmakers were in this game. Let me confirm. I think everyone except Draymond Green played. The Warriors won 116-107. to Steph Curry, 33-4-6. and 
CP3, 21, 6, and 8. It's still not loading. Damn internet. Well, I'm pretty sure it was all but Draymond. The Nets beat the Lakers, 122-115. LeBron had 39-9-7. and seven. He's been hooping, hooping. And he ain't no young spry chicken anymore. LeBron James is 37 years old. Enjoy it while we got it. God damn, LeBron. Uh, James Harden, 36-10-10. and 10, Little triple-double in the victory. My Jazz escaping the Doncic-less Mavericks, 121-16. Donovan Spina Mitchell, 33-3-3. The Unicorn, Kristaps Porzingis, 27-9 in defeat. <coughs> that just doesn't want to load. <coughs> Excuse me. Getting that dry throat, man. I got to hydrate. It's hard to hydrate. I don't want you guys like hearing me drinking. So I need to co-someone co like, you talk a little bit. Let me Let me hydrate. All right. Post-Christmas, Sunday action. What did we got? Any big games? The Sixers beat the Wizards on the, row, on the road. Joel was putting up big numbers, 36-13. and 13. Uh, Montrez Harrell, 15-4. and four. What else we got? No other good games. Heading into that Monday. The Bulls beat the Hawks in Atlanta. DeMar DeRozan, man. Buzzer beaters. Hooping. He's a full package now. Really just letting... His wings fly in Chicago. He goes 35-5-10. Cam Reddish in defeat. The Young Blood 33-4-2. Uh, the Grizzlies beat the Suns in Phoenix. These Grizzlies ain't playing games. Desmond Bain led the way 32-6. Devin Booker 30 points, 2 rebounds, 4 assists in defeat. Um, heading into Tuesday... The Heat beat the Wizards in Miami. Jimmy Buckets, 25-8-15. Spencer Dinwiddie, 24-7-11 in defeat. Um, the Nuggets beating the Warriors on the road. Nikola Jokic, 22-19. Andrew Wiggins, 21-8. It's great for the Jazz. And then Wednesday, the last day before my next episode... That I'll be putting out in another day. Um, the Grizzlies beat the Lakers 104-99 at home. John Morant. I'm on my Grizzly. 41-10. I have him in my fantasy team. He's doing so well but with COVID. My team is trash. But gosh darn, he's taking a leap this year. What is this guy going to be doing the next couple of years? And how old is he? Like 22? People forget how young these kids are. He is 22 years old. Fearless 22. And then the Bulls beat the Hawks in Chicago. Nikola, Nikola Vucevic, 16-20. Ice Trey, 26-3-11 in defeat. That sets us up for NBA. We'll talk more standings. Now that the NFL is winding down, it's playoff time. I'll start breaking down an East and West team. Give us some love and some teams. See what's going on. Starting to get real in that, in that NBA season. And then in college basketball, there wasn't a lot with the holidays. Lots of COVID issues. Really, the only big games was the the Wednesday that I'll cut this off before the next episode. Auburn beating LSU at home. Uh, Walker Kessler had 16 points, 10 rebounds. Tari Eason, 11-7 for LSU. 
Let's see, 11th-ranked Auburn beating 16th-ranked LSU. little SEC battle. Uh, Bama ends up beating Tennessee, another little SEC battle. Noah Gurley, 20 points, 10 rebounds for the Tide. And Santiago Vescovi, 13-6 and six for Tennessee. Tennessee's playing some tough squads lately. Little Big East action, 21th-ranked Providence upsets 15th-ranked Seton Hall at home. Noah Horchler was 17-13, and 13, and Alexis Yetna 13-11 and 11 in defeat for Seton Hall. So a little interconference battles, lots of conference play happening. Uh, Gonzaga was supposed to play, that got postponed. A huge game, UCLA-Arizona Arizona got postponed. So there's not a ton of action until we enter the new year, and we'll talk about that on the next episode. When we look at the rankings, my underrated, overrated, pretty similar. Uh, Arizona, they took a loss. They had that postponement. Again, I, I think they're overrated. Auburn, good win against um, a good win that we just recapped there against LSU. But I still think they're too, a little too high in the rankings. You know, byproduct of that, I do think LSU is overrated as well. I'm going to put Auburn, or USC and Colorado State and Houston in the overrated bucket. And then underrated, I have Wisconsin and Villanova. And again, that's purely, I think they're going to be higher in the rankings as the season goes on. A lot of this is, where do I think they truly belong? Are they too high? Should they not even be in the rankings? That's my overrated, underrated. Some other things around the sports world. Cody Bellinger and the Dodgers did end up avoiding arbitration with the one-year $17 million contract. You know, there was lots of rumors if or if that did not happen before the deadline as they are now in a lockout. And then Shohei Otani, Shohei, named the AP's top male athlete. Absolutely. I'll say it once. I'll say it twice. I'll say it all the time. The most mesmerizing athlete in sports. Boom. Um, You know, little sad news close to the PNW here. One of my favorite all-time Mariners, Kyle Seeger, officially retiring. I was there for his last game when the Angels eliminated them from the playoffs. They gave him third base, had an ovation. It was an emotional moment. Really cool to see. He got it on video. It was fun. But tip to the cap to Kyle Seeger. Um, I'm sure he just didn't really want to play a low-level contract for Texas or somewhere out of Seattle. And then next podcast, we're going to talk about AMA Supercross. It's coming back. It's starting on Saturday in Anaheim where it's always started with fans in the stadiums again. A full tour. It'll be coming to Seattle. I can't wait. Ken Roxon is going for it. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, that's episode 61, though. I hope you guys liked it. Again, weekly sports shows. You have sports fans. Send them my way. Give me some feedback. You can email me. You know, Comment uh, if you watch YouTube. Comment on the streams. You can hit me up in social medias, Twitter, Instagram. Looking to evolve. Looking to go. You're one of business and buckets, though. We out here. We out here. See you guys next week or tomorrow for 62.